Would you stand, please, as we share together in the reading of God's Word this morning? In the fourth chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, we read from the fifth to the twelfth verses. This wonderful, fascinating story is the text for our message this morning under the title, No Other Name. Acts 4, beginning at the fifth verse. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, now, by what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said unto them, You rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him, Doth this man stand here before you whole? This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, but is become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Has now been healed. And with Peter and John, this man who has not been able to walk, now walks. This man who has not been able to shake hands with others, now shakes hands with many and slaps a number of folks on the back. And I think he jumps up and down, rejoicing in the glory of what has come to him, that now he is healed. Peter and John, after the healing experience, go into the temple area. And in the temple area, we find them doing what we always find folks doing when they've had an experience with the Lord, when something good has happened. They were sharing it with others. Our Christian faith is a sharing faith. If you don't share anything, you might need to examine what you call your faith. 
because real Christianity is always a sharing something. And if you have no desire to share, to tell others, to witness, to see the miracle take place in someone else's life, then maybe the real miracle has not taken place in yours yet. But thank God it's not too late. Peter and John went into the temple and they were telling about Jesus and they were singing the praise of Jesus. John, I guess, if they'd have had that particular song back then, they'd have been singing it because it tells it so beautifully and so wonderfully. In the temple, folks gathered around. They saw the fellow. They recognized him for years. They had passed by the place where he had been begging, and they had thrown him a coin or two. And they saw him walking around, and they saw him talking to other folks, and they saw him shaking hands with others, and they listened. And folks everywhere were amazed, amazed at the good things that had happened. Here, Christianity was being flown as a high banner, not a whole series of doctrines. No, it was the simple fact that a man who had been lame was now walking. It was the glorious experience that a man who had had great need had had his need met. And there he was as the proof and as the testimony of what had come to pass. The Bible says that the crowd gathered, the crowd looked, and they wondered, and many believed. It always happens that way. If we have an experience with Jesus that we share with others, that we tell to others, others will believe. If we have the kind of experience with Jesus where that constant miracle power of the Master is available to someone else's life and we see the miracle take place and then we tell others about it and we witness to others about it, something happens. People will always believe when we're faithful in telling the story. Wherever great numbers do not believe, it is simply because we do not tell the story with enthusiasm and with power and with the trophies of the victory in Christ who are round about us. But all was not easy and all was not simple, for they had opposition. There's always opposition. If you have ever attempted to win someone to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, to testify about your own faith in Jesus Christ, you'll remember instantly, you remember the opposition that wells up, internal and external, all the things that can go wrong, all of the reasons that come to mind, the weather's not right, it's the wrong time of day, something's wrong with the car, you get to somebody's house and they're watching their favorite television program, or on and on and on, or you're scared to death for some reason or other, you just don't want to go to that house. But you get there and you knock or you ring the doorbell, hoping all the time nobody's going to answer the door. The opposition, the opposition that we face when we try to witness for Jesus, the opposition of Peter and John then is not 
something that is unexpected. The opposition that they face, the officials, the heads of the religious organizations, the Seventy, the members of the Sanhedrin, the ruling elite, these were the upper crust of the ruling society. And the Sanhedrin and these folks in the high priest house, Annas, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and many others who were kinfolks of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And they heard about Peter and John telling about Jesus. And they heard something about the preaching there in the very temple area. And they heard about the healing that had taken place. And they said, now listen, we better find out what's going on. Bring those guys to us. And so Peter and John were brought literally as prisoners. They were brought into the presence of the high priest and the Sanhedrin and to the kinfolks, the curious onlookers. And they wanted to know what had taken place. They were not so interested in the fact that a man who had been sick for 40 years was now able to walk around. That didn't delight them too much. They weren't too excited or too happy about a fellow that had been begging alms for all those years. Now suddenly, being able with sufficient strength of body to do a good day's work, that didn't excite them too much. But they were scared to death because they suspected that it was all in the name of Jesus. And so they put Peter and John in the midst of that circle. And they want to get into an argument with them, into a debate of philosophy. They say, now, by, by what special kind of power? By what name? You're bound to be some strange, odd, religious kook set. You're bound to be somebody out on the fringe of things. By what name have you done this? Well, dear old Peter, he'll take any occasion on the face of the earth and turn it into a pulpit. Peter will just use any kind of an opportunity to talk to folks about Jesus. And what better place and what better time can you imagine that congregation? Why, here, was the, here were the ruling elders of the whole land. Here was the Sanhedrin. Here are the 70. Here's the high priest himself. The highest muckety-muck. You couldn't get any higher than that when it came to the Jewish people. And Peter, I think, probably just took a big, deep breath. Now, Peter had been a, been a coward back there and and, and Peter had, had denied his Lord back there, but, but some things had happened in the meantime. Some experiences had come his way, and, and instead of having a cotton string for a backbone, he had a rod of steel back there. And he seized the opportunity. He said, oh, look at this congregation. I think he looked every one of them straight in the eye. I think he just didn't look over their heads or off to one corner or down at the floor or up at the ceiling. He looked every one of them in the eye as he made the response to them. Here they said, what 
By what power have you done this? In whose name have you done this? You see, they ignored the indisputable fact of the healed man. It's interesting, and I think it's important for us to remember that the world is interested in seeing what we produce in our preaching and in our teaching and in our living. If the world has a right to say to us, and the world does, where are those that have been healed? Where are those who have been changed? Where are those to whom you have witnessed whose lives have now been changed and blessed and reversed in the direction in which they were going? The world has a right to say to us, show us the drunkard who's now sober. Show us the prostitute who's now clean and pure. Show us the vile mouth man with his dirty, filthy jokes who now speaks of the glories of Jesus. Show us. Show us the mean dad who is a scourge to his wife and to his kids, but who is now a blessing and a joy. Show us. Show us the woman who was the alcoholic mother who hurt her family, but now with the touch of Jesus has been changed and she's clean and she's sober and she's a joyous mother. Show us. The world has a right to say show us. And that's what the Sanhedrin said to Peter and to John. Oh, you say there's a man there. Show us the man. And thank God he was there. The man who had been crippled, now he can walk. man who had been lame, now he can jump. There was the man. And there was a name, a name that had brought it to pass. There was a person, there was a man who had made it all possible. And Peter is not timid. And Peter is not hesitant to tell the name by which it had come to pass. When they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said unto them, There you have a secret. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. The word filled means controlled. The word filled means possessed by. Then Peter, controlled by the Holy Spirit. Peter, possessed fully by the Holy Spirit, gives answer. You ever been afraid to try to be a witness for Jesus? as to what Jesus has done in your own life, or what Jesus has done in the lives of those around you? Listen to me. You don't have to give answer to the world in your own knowledge or your own strength. You don't have to take your stand and give your witness for the Master by just the gumption that you can just pull up out of your own bootstrap. No. For when we give our testimony about Jesus, and when we would live for Jesus, 
when, as Tom shared with us, when we'd be faithful in the matters of stewardship for Jesus. We don't do it by ourselves. It is in the power of God. When we do it in the power of God, then we draw all of the resources that God has to offer. What a glorious and what a wonderful truth this is for every one of us. Oh, now, without a stammer and not a stutter at all, filled, filled to the glory and controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. Now it's Peter and God who's going to make the response. Peter doesn't have to draw on just his own intellectual background or experience. Now he simply opens his mouth, and now he becomes the channel of the Holy Spirit of God to speak. I can't imagine an audience to be more impressionable than the Sanhedrin and the high priest and all of those family folk who were gathered there. They sensed that something wonderful had happened, and here was an opportunity to give them the explanation. So Peter was on fire. That's the difference between living our lives to the glory of Jesus in our own power, just doing it our way, doing our own thing, and doing it, being dominated and controlled by the Holy Spirit. And I don't think Peter was ever in his life any more eloquent than he was on this occasion. Even back there, just a little while before, when he had preached that magnificent sermon on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 folks were saved, there was eloquence there, where again the Holy Spirit of God had spoken to him and through him to the assembled Jews who had come from all over the civilized world. But here, the audience is smaller. Here, the congregation much smaller. But all oh, the need for Christ to be clear in the midst, the need for the testimony to be sure and certain. And Peter, Peter now controlled by the Holy Spirit of God and on fire to tell the story and to tell it exactly as it is. Never has he spoken with any more eloquence. Listen, and Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said unto them, O you rulers of Israel, and you elders, you elders of Israel, if we this day be examined because of the good deed done to this man who's been lame all these years, and you want to know the means by which he's now whole, then listen and I'll tell you. Be it known unto you all, and be it known unto all the people of Israel. You want to know the name? Peter said, I'll tell you the name. There's only one name by which this came to pass, only one name by which an impotent man can now walk in health, only one name. You want to know that name, members of the Sanhedrin? You want to know that name, Jewish high priest? You want to know that name, wives and children, rulers? You want to know that name? Be it known unto all of you that by the name of Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and looking them straight in the eye, 
It was the same Jesus you crucified. But while you thought you were through with him, while you thought that when you put the nails in his hands and his feet, and when you saw the sword, the spear thrust in his side, and when you got word that he was dead, you thought you were through with him, this Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified and you thought was gone forever, but God was not through with him. God raised him from the dead. Even by him, by this Jesus Christ of Nazareth, doth this man stand here before you whole. Then the world asked, what makes you Christians different from others? Can we say, this man stands in your midst whole? By Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus was the stone that you folks put it naught, that said this doesn't count, but God said he's cornerstone. And neither, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now the 13th verse. And now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. There you have it. The Christ that we want, the name, the Savior, the sweet name of Jesus. Ah, oh, we want him as the Savior, the man crucified but alive, the man crucified but alive forevermore, for he knows us and he loves us and he died for us and he was raised for us and he makes intercession for us. Oh, listen, Peter might have stopped right there, but he couldn't and he goes on and he goes on as he drives the invitation home, as he says to the Sanhedrin, as he says to the rulers of the Jewish people. He said, this is the name of salvation. No salvation in any other name. You speak the name of Abraham, and great was the patriarch, but he cannot save. You speak the name of Moses, and great was the lawgiver Moses, but there's no salvation in speaking the name of Moses. On down the historic roll call of the giants of history, Peter could have gone, but it could there be no salvation in these names, but only in the name of Jesus. Oh, there are many Christs. There's the Christ of the painter, and there's the Christ of the sculptor, and there's the Christ of the poet, and there's the Christ of the author, and there's the Christ of the teacher, and there's the Christ of the preacher, but none of these are the saving Christ. It is Christ himself, his name, and only his name that brings redemption. Ah, oh, the apostles turned the healing 
of the ankle bones of that poor lame man turn that into a pulpit. And the name of Jesus has continued to be glorified. For every time anybody through 2,000 years has read the story, they've glorified the name of Jesus. And every time a Sunday school lesson's been taught on that text, and every time a preacher has preached from this text, the glory of the name of Jesus from old, twisted, lame, ankle bones that have become a pulpit where the name of Jesus continues to be preached. No other name, no other name, not mothers, sweet and kind and loving, not dads, strong and compassionate and kind, not in the name of ordinances or sacraments, not in the name of churches, not in the name of morality, not in any good name, not in the name of Buddha, not in the name of Confucius, not in the name of Mormon, not in the name of Mary, but in the name of Jesus. Salvation in no other name, only the name of Jesus. For the name of Jesus brings salvation. The name of Jesus heals. The name of Jesus lifts. The name of Jesus washes. The name of Jesus justifies. The name of Jesus sanctifies us. Oh, the sweet name of Jesus. It is a sweet name. It is a strong name. It is a saving name. It is a secure name, the name of Jesus. And to you who are careless and drifting, I point you to the name of Jesus. To you who are self-righteous, I point you to the name of Jesus. To you who are despondent and worried and have come to this place with great care and a load of worry, I point you to the name of Jesus. Jesus, who is able to take care of you, the name of Jesus is so sweet. I love, I love its name, for it's magic to repeat. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know, fills my every longing, keeps me singing as I go. I'm going to ask the choir to sing for the invitation, what they sang to begin this service, the glories of the name of Jesus. And in a moment as they sing, it is the moment of opportunity to put your trust in Jesus and to see Jesus, to follow Jesus, to live for Jesus, for there is salvation in no other name. Saying goodbye and abandoning all else, clinging only to Jesus. This is the invitation of the hour. Would you come to Jesus? for he'll bring healing to your soul. He'll bring cleansing. He'll bring power. He'll bring joy. In the name of Jesus, I ask you to come with your church membership. In the name of Jesus, I ask you to take your stand for the Master in any way and in every way that the name of Jesus would be honored. As we stand and the choir sings, will you come? Come now. I invite you in the name of Jesus. <laughs> 